Coming up this week, off-screen. We board the Deepwater Horizon. Visit the free state of Jones. Meet a Swiss army man. Pay a visit to Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. Face the fencer. Get to know Tharlo. Hide under the shadow. And go southside with you in time for the first Monday in May. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Off-screen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. So we should start this week, before we get to, you know, all the fun of all the reviews, mm-hmm. the box office top ten, all, all the films, etc. We've got to start with, of course, the big thing this week. And, and, what, and what was that big thing? That big thing, of course, was it was so big, it was practically lion-like. You could say. What a segue. It was a segue, wasn't it? So, of course, The Lion King, mm. which is, you know, one of the most beloved Disney I've, I've movies seen it. ever. I've seen it once, twice. You've seen it yeah, a you, couple of times. Have couple you times. embraced the circle of life within your own life, Mr. I Ray? have seen it on the West End stage. Have you, indeed? Yes. I have not had that pleasure. It's good. Well, as you know, Disney are doing this thing at the moment where they've got this sort of would be franchise where they're just turning all of their animated films mm. into live action adaptations. And it's working out pretty well so far. You yeah. know, some, some, a couple are a bit ropey. Uh, Maleficent wasn't the best, Cinderella was pretty good. Good. Cinderella was really good. Yeah, uh, Beauty and the Beast it. will be amazing. I think we all know that. That's oh, man. Gonna, yeah. gonna rock, isn't it? And uh, it's got those Guillermo del Toro looking. Uh, yeah, for Lumiere, yeah. yeah. And now, of course, we're going to have The Lion King, which is going to follow in the footsteps of The Jungle Book. It's going to have John Favreau directing. And of course, the big thing with Lion King was it was one human and a bunch of CGI animals. Uh, and- Jungle Book. Jungle Book, yes. sorry, and and now we're going to we're going to do away with the human element and just, just have all the, animals. Yeah, all yeah. animals. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, I've I've got some really big hopes for this one. Well, who do yeah. you get to fill in for Jeremy Irons? That's the question. That, just get a, Jeremy Irons. Well, it's, going to, it's going to be Brian Cranston. Let's be honest. <laughs> really, Brian Cranston is. <laughs> I think a scar. Brian, Brian Cranston is scar. I can see it happening. Because I they've got all of the cast, haven't they? Well, apart, apart from Simba's mum, I think that's the only cast member that's since passed away. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be Jonathan Taylor Thomas anymore, is it? Let's be honest. Oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Get, get another kid. Yeah. So let's have a look then at uh, first film of the week. Let's talk about the Fencer real quick. Um, this is really this was, I believe, Finland's entry for the best foreign language film at the Oscars this year. It didn't get a nomination, but this was their submission. And actually, when you see the film, you think, oh, actually, I can see why you choose this as your nomination. Mm. So um, this is uh, this comes by. Klaus Hiro, not 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 a filmmaker whose work I'm terribly familiar with, because my knowledge of Finnish cinema is somewhat hazy. Which Mine is quite limited. <laughs> so this is a story of this is during the, the during the Soviet occupation of Estonia. This is uh, a young man named Endel who arrives in a small rural town to teach at the school. He's he's on the run from something. We're never entirely sure what. He's got to keep his head down. He's communicating with a friend back home who's telling him, "You be careful now." And he goes to this school. He starts. To he starts to teach the kids and he gets roped into teaching a sports club for the kids in which he then bonds with them over his love of fencing and he teaches these kids or most of whom are sort of orphaned by the Soviet occupation uh, he sort of brings them together he gives them a place to basically come into their own a place to you know have love and nurture and support they don't have elsewhere and of course you know it starts to cause problems with the establishment of the school who are a little more buttoned down who would rather that everything obeyed the uh, the communist uh, you know Regime. Regime. Everything obeyed their strict guidelines. Everything had to benefit the state, etc. And, of course, there's also his own looming 
with his own looming legal problems as well. And this all comes to a head as the uh, the school, the, the children of the school want to enter a Leningrad-based fencing competition, which would mean, of course, he can either let them down or he can face his demons and risk, you know, facing his demons. And it is a really, sounds, really... Sounds good. It sounds is. It's a really yeah. interesting film. So we say it's, it's quite a small scale. It's a big story, but a relatively small scale version mm. of it. And I say this takes place height of the Cold War. You've got all of that sort of Soviet paranoia. And this is under the Stalin sort of uh, era. Stalinist era. And uh, what you've got at the centre of it all as well is this great performance by, and I've forgotten his name, it's driven me mad. <laughs> I've forgotten his name. I know his surname. His surname is Avandi. Um, and Mr. Avandi, I forget his yep. first name. Jeff. Jeff Avandi, mm. who is terrific as Endel. He's really understated. He's got this sort of, he's managed to make it quite a guarded performance, but at the same time, it's thoughtful. He's quite a thoughtful character, despite being quite insular, despite being quite enclosed. And it's a performance that perfectly suits suits the environment of the film, the atmosphere of the film, which is very much a stone-cold, very chilly, very isolated kind of an environment. I say, it does have this, this wider world sort of a feeling to it. It does work really well. Terrific direction, terrific locale. It does work. It is a really moving film. It is a really sort of, a genuinely sort of considerate film, a, a moving film that does work on a lot of levels. It's a little bit predictable as it gets towards certain plot machinations in its third act, but to be fair, you're kind of won over by it so early on that you don't, you allow for it. Mm, it's, it's fine. fine. It's, cool. it's fine. You, we'll, we'll let that pass. But yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it does sound like I'm uh, going to have to check that one out. Do check it out. It's yeah. one of those, you, you say, you can see why they would submit it for Oscars. So a uh, quick plug for the podcast mm. edition, because we're not going to be able to fit in everything this week into the radio edit. So, of course, Tharlow, Under the Shadow, and the first Monday May, those are getting bumped over to the uh, the podcast extras, along with a bunch of film news that we're not going to have time oh, to do. Oh, there's loads. The, the, so there's much. always loads. So much. So, of course, if you want the podcast edition, all you have to do is pop over to Acast, iTunes, TuneIn, Deezer, any of these yeah. podcasty apps, and type in off-screen, and we're on there and just download and get like an extra half hour and a moment of cage who doesn't love a bit of cage so uh, let's talk then go to the box office top 10 real quick mm. so we should we should crack on with let's that. Do that number 10 the bfg that's me it's <laughs> it's back isn't it we, it left the top 10 oh, did now it, did it, it left oh, and now oh, it's back yes, we didn't have it last yeah. week 10 um, weeks 10, ten weeks, weeks remember when we were trying to work out if the jungle book would last 10 weeks wasn't it 11 weeks? We it lasted before? 11 weeks, but in the 10th week, it oh, left wait. the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> so BFG is doing a Jungle Book. It is doing a Jungle Book. And I'm surprised by that. It's got some legs, the, jungle, the BFG. Yeah, some I, pretty long legs. Some pretty long legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some pretty long legs. It. And some snoscumbers. And I really liked it. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of how they have balanced the idea of doing a Roald Dahl film with doing a Spielberg film. Uh, I think that works surprisingly well. Um, I love the cast of this film. I particularly like uh, Mark Ryland's as the BFG, great bit of casting. I mean, in my fantasy casting, it was always James Cromwell, but... Uh, oh, come on, that would have been great. Can you, you can see it, can't you? Yeah, can you, you can, yeah. No, I'm annoyed with myself for not yeah, seeing no it. No makeup required, James Cromwell as the BFG. <laughs> you know, no motion capture needed for James yeah. Cromwell as the BFG. He's already like seven foot tall as they well. Just, they film that one Hobbit style, where they just stand everyone in front yeah, of him. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I really, really enjoyed it. Number nine. Bad Moms. And he's slipping down. Finally, I quite liked it's Bad Moms. Been months. there for a while. Yeah, I, I, I laughed. I imagine this is one you'll see when it hits like home release. Oh, it's going to be a Netflix. I don't know what yeah. else to watch. This, this, this is one that Cassie will, I think, make you watch at some point. Well, I will watch it? it because of Catherine Hahn. 
Oh, After watching Transparent, I will now see anything that she is in. No, I can go with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Catherine Hahn ever since The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. See, I never saw that. You saw that because of Jeremy Piven, I'm sure. Of course yeah. I did. I saw that because of Jeremy Piven and his pro-smoking rant, uh, which he throws at Kristen Schaal very early on in the film. I love <laughs> The Goods. I know it's an awful film, but it's one that makes me laugh, and I love it, and it has Ed Helms as a boy band member, and that amuses me. Um... Well, you've sold me on that. Sell me on this. <laughs> sell you on this. It's a Bad Moms, which has a lot of laughs in a very short amount of time, it's got some some quite great set pieces. Unfortunately, it's a little bit predictable. It doesn't quite go to the comedic extremes you want it to as, in, as regards its meaningful side, as regards having a point, as regards saying something. It doesn't do much with that. And that's a problem we've had in other comedies this year. We had that mm-hmm. with Bad Neighbours 2 in particular. And it always seems to affect, it predominantly seems to affect female-driven comedies as well, I notice. Which is, you can't help but wonder why, because in a large number of cases, they are written by women as well. Mm. In which case, is that think, the case in this film? That's very much the case here, yeah. where you think, I, I kind of wish you'd, you'd go with your point and make the point that there is a serious gender imbalance and, yeah. and say Makes something a bit more about pointed. it. Yeah. Exactly. Not that I didn't enjoy it, still thought it was great. Number eight. Sausage Party. We both love this. We both need to see this film again. We, we love it. We want to see it again. It's got that rock star cameo that you got. Yeah. It's got that, that ending. ending. It's got that ending. And then it's got that other bit of that ending. And then oh that other bit of that ending. Yeah. And it's got all the blood and gore and all the brilliant humour and what's not to love. Number seven. Blair Witch. Which is fine for a basic updated remake of you know the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, I'm it's... not going to rush out to see it, but I do like him a lot, Adam Wingard. I the thing really, is, really do like him. You go to it wanting an Adam Wingard film, and you just get just another found footage film. Yeah, I guess you want his spin on it, his take. Y- you want Adam Wingard to do a non-found footage Blair Witch, and that would really be something. I'd be really interested. The problem is, I've got this could be made by anyone. This really could. Mm. This could there's be no made. stamp of his. There's, there's no unique signature on it. And as regards Simon Barrett writing, because Simon Barrett obviously does a lot of the scripting for Ivan Wingard, and there's a bit more characterization. But again, you're following the same pattern, and it feels like a bit of a letdown. It, it, it's you know, it's it's not bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's bringing a bazooka to a knife fight, and that's the problem. Number six. Don't breathe, which I loved, I adored. I was on the edge of my seat. I was, you know, lump in throat, suspense. This is pure Hitchcockian glee. I'm hopefully going to go see this tonight because I've got to pick a friend of mine up up from the train station. So yeah, I'm going to check this, then go get him from the Excellent. train station. Excellent. So hopefully, I'll be seeing this. It's team. important to have priorities. Friends come yeah. second. Oh yeah, Stephen yeah. Lang. Friends. <laughs> yep. Stephen Lang, then your mates. With the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So let's uh, talk about this. Is the, this is the biggie this week, mm. of course, which is uh, Deepwater Horizon, which is the latest from uh, Peter Burke. Yeah. Do you know who uh, was going to be making this film? I do actually. I found this out by accident earlier today. Yeah. It's, it's, it's J.C. Shandor, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. Who, of course, brought us Margin Call, which I love, and All I Is Lost, well. which I love less. I love. I think I love that on par. Really? As much, you yeah. love All Is Lost on par with uh, with Robert Redford, though. Oh man. Uh, you know, Redford and his salty caramel tones. But, there we are. Uh, <laughs> but uh, his salted caramel tones, which I, I, you could read you the phone book and put you to sleep. Mm. You know, it would be the greatest sleep you've ever had. So, yeah, so Deepwater Horizon, which Peter Berg, and Peter Berg, of course, has brought us a, a mixed bag of pleasures over the years, mm. ranging from very bad things, which I really liked, uh, Welcome to the Jungle slash The Rundown, which gave us The Rock as I we know him now. I saw that recently for the very first time. I quite enjoyed it. It's good, it's yeah, good isn't it? It's pretty good. And then he brought us things like The Kingdom, which I, I thought was great. Yeah. Kingdom, and then uh, Hancock. Hancock, which was very mm. so-so. Yeah. Then he brought us Battleship. 
and things started to go a little bit but wrong. But lest we forget, he also did uh, Friday Night Lights, the TV show. Oh, he did as well. He also, yeah. And then he did uh, Lone Survivor, which is the winner of the stupidest, most spoilerific title any movie has ever had. So now he... <laughs> is that film where everybody survives? <laughs> that film where everybody survives, yeah, yeah exactly. So that title didn't give anything away. <laughs> so now, of course, he's turned his attention to the BP oil spill. And, well, actually, kind of the kickoff point of the BP oil spill. The BP oil spill is almost incidental to the plot of the film. Mm-hmm. So this is the rig. This is the Deepwater Horizon that basically kicked off the BP oil spill and it is the event that solely took place and the evacuation of this rig. And of course at the centre of all you have Mark Wahlberg who's the chief electrician, Mike Williams and these are all obviously real guys, this is a true story. You've got uh, Kurt Russell as Mr. Jimmy. Mr. Jimmy. Mr. Jimmy, that's his name. <laughs> first, first name Mr. Surname like, Jimmy. His name is like Jimmy Harrell or Jimmy Havel or something like that yeah. and <laughs> they just makes them all call him Mr. Jimmy. Mr. Jimmy. And get this, this is Kurt Russell in pure Nick Offerman mode. Great. This is, this is Ron Swanson. This is Kurt Russell doing <laughs> Ron Jimmy Swanson, Swanson. <laughs> and he's Mr. Jimmy. Should we have a clip? Yes, Because of course you know what's going to happen. The oil's going to, the oil, the oil drilling's going to go all badly wrong. And Mark and Mark's just going to go just dance. Yeah, the rig's going to basically implode from the inside. We're going to get a whole sequence from the transporter where he's rolling around in oil. <laughs> and I'm kidding, that bit doesn't happen. But there is a lot of death and a lot of carnage and here's a clip of the moment it all goes wrong. She put a whoop-ass on Maggie and her penguin. Get out of here. She did. Huh. And she did it all without this? No! That is a genuine dinosaur tooth. You're a good man, Mike. Mike, what is that? Is everything okay? <laughs> Mike. Boy, back, I'm back. Carnage candy. So, so Peter Berg's back. And you know what? Actually, he's really bringing his A-game to this one. It turns out this is the kind of thing that he does really, really well. And, you know, Lone Survivor, it, it was a solid film. I mean, we, we, give, it stick, it, yeah. we give it a stick for its title. But I it didn't was, like the ending. Oh, no. Yeah. You, you're thinking of the cover, aren't you? The song at the end. Yeah, you're that cover yeah. of Heroes. Yeah. Uh, there is nothing quite as hokey in this, thankfully. This is very much an Irwin Allen-style film from the 1970s, but it's made for the Black Hawk Down generation. So it has got that sensibility. You are basically watching something... You know that way that San Andreas was? San Andreas was, let's do an Irwin Allen film, but we're going to do it for, you know, a, a, the, the, the Rock's generation, the Rock yeah. fan base. People this that is... are putting the... Fanta Frozen directly into the veins. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, most people. Well, actually, that was Irwin Allen for the bro generation. This is Irwin Allen for yeah. the Black Orc Down generation. And, and that's what you've got here. And it's really tight, and it is really suspenseful. It is just a masterclass in how to build absolute terror. And what they do is this very clever system. This is a one-hour, 47-minute-long film, right? The inciting incident, the big disaster, does not take, take place until nearly an hour into the film. And yet, for that first... Really? Yeah, and for that first hour, you are on the edge of your seat just bracing yourself. And it doesn't get repetitive, it doesn't get tiresome, you are genuinely thrilled by it. Because there are so many moments where you think, oh, this is it, this is going to be the thing. This is oh, yeah. oh, okay, okay. That is so rare for a disaster film. It is. Because usually, you, you want it to happen. Exactly. You you think, oh, it's going to be a two-hour film, and the disaster happens four minutes in. And, yeah. Because that's literally San Andreas, isn't it? Mm. Literally what it happens is, there. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is not that. This is Towering Inferno at sea, but it takes an hour to get there, and everyone keeps playing with lighters for that hour. That, that's, that's the best way to, to call it. It's got a screenplay written by um, is it Matthew Michael Carnahan, who is the brother of Joe. Oh, really? Yep, and cool. another guy named Matthew Sands. Right. Um, and he's written for uh, Berg in the past, it seems. He wrote The Kingdom what's, what's as done? well. 
He wrote oh, right, the Kingdom yeah. for, for Peter Bergen. I think he also Kingdom wrote right, Love Survivor as well. Right. Kingdom, I really liked. Um, and then you've got just this great cast. And it's not all perfect. You've got Gina Rodriguez. Is she the one from Jane the Virgin, I want to say? Yes, Gina Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. Who is Token Girl. That, that's her whole character, Token Girl. Is she there on the rig? She's there on the rig. Right. She's Token Girl crew member. Right, fair. And you know she works on an oil rig because she has a motorcycle. And you think... Okay. Because Michelle Rodriguez was busy. Michelle Rodriguez, day. so yeah. they, they they just skipped to the next Rodriguez in the book, and and they, they <laughs> that's how it works. They just went to the next one up the list was was Gina, and then they've got uh, John Malkovich, who's just like you know Malkatraz, yeah, Malkatraz, who's just like you know token sleazy corporate suit from page ninety six of the Hollywood cliche book. And then you think, okay, you know what? I would be annoyed about this if it wasn't John Malkovich doing it. And you're like, Fair play to John Malkovich yeah. for doing a film like this. Yes, because... Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Malkovich periodically does things like a Transformers sequel and this. Yeah. And you think, why are you... Okay, okay, you've got a mortgage. We get it. And yes, it is visceral. It is violent. It is furious. It is frenetic. And yet at the centre of it all is Peter Berg, who is just taking a step back and saying, right... This is absolute chaos, but I'm going to make sure that you can see everything that's going on in it. And fair play to him, it works. I loved it. I was sold. It is Towering Inferno. It's the oceanic Towering Inferno. Loved it. I was really gripped by it. It's so good, I even managed to overlook the fact that Kate Hudson's in it. And I even got a bit moved during one of her scenes. Really? That is actually something that That's happened. That's not happened to me since Kung Fu Panda 3. Really? Yeah. Our Bride Wars didn't do it for you? <laughs> I came out years ago. So, a uh, bit of film news before we move on to uh, the reconnaissance chapter The reconnaissance, yeah. Uh, so, let's talk about Aman, Bill Hader. We, we, yes, we, we, love, we love a bit of Bill. We, we do. do. We and of course, he's landed the greatest job in film for the next year. He is going to be everyone's favourite <laughs> member of the Power Rangers team. He is going to be Alpha 5 in the Power Rangers reboot movie. And ay, 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 this yeah. is going to That's be awesome. It's so good. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen clips of him since? And you're like, oh my God, it's going to be Bill Hader. It's going to be awesome. Yes. Yeah, because you're not a Power Rangers fan. Not. No. Not, anymore. No, not anymore. I, I was when, when I was, was a kid. kid. When I was a kid for maybe a year. Oh, it's turtles that you weren't. It's turtles. Okay, sorry, not, I get I'm too confused. No. You weren't a turtles fan. Power Rangers, are you cool with? Okay, so we just need to get Jason <laughs> David Frank in there now, and we're all good. We can go home. Well, you know, if it doesn't happen in this one, then we've got a further six of these. Things. Yeah, six, six of these. Yeah, yeah. So. so let's talk about what should be a really good franchise launcher, but clearly isn't going to be. Uh, Free State of Jones. <laughs> Free State of yeah. Jones. So, did you have pleasure of this? Sadly, I did not. I've been, not. Oh. I've been quite busy this week, unfortunately. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. So this is, to, to put it bluntly, it's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves in the Civil War. That's great, because I loved that film. Everyone loves Prince of Thieves. No, you know. no past tense. Loved. Loved? You don't, don't know? love it anymore. I re-watched it a couple of months ago. Wasn't a fan anymore. Okay, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We're going to have that out at some point. You know. Okay. You just, we'll we'll, we'll you fight know. after the show. <laughs> there, there, will, there will be, you know, broken bottles and, and you know, yeah. arms arms sellotaped together and, and yeah, you know, old, old style. Until you know. Morgan Freeman comes to save him with his big sword. <laughs> then, <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> right, so this is set during the American Civil War. You have Newton Knight, who is a real historical figure, and the mm-hmm. film takes place in fr- you know, in with real historical events in the background. Not in the way that the Patriot did. These ones actually happen when they're supposed to. Not like we're still fighting battles after the Declaration of Independence. These ones actually work. So Newton Knight, played by Matthew McConaughey, who is a Civil War deserter. He's, uh, he deserts his post on the Civil War when his young relative is, is tragically killed. He finds himself seeking refuge in his homeland. And 
in a nearby swamp where he happened upon a group of escaped slaves who have you know been tormented and tortured in their own individual ways and center to them all is uh, Mahashala Ali from House of Cards oh Remy Remy from House of Cards oh, who of course great. is going to be in Luke Cage this he's weekend got a big bad so in Luke Cage. yeah and he's got like a a big metal vice stuck to his neck for instance right. and of course the pair bond over having to remove this this vice what we then what uh, McConaughey's character what Newton Knight then learns is you know there is this whole culture of free slaves who are still being persecuted they don't deserve to be you know what all they need is a leader i'm gonna be that leader so he becomes the robin hood to this band of merry men and they make these swamps their sherwood forest and whilst the civil war is raging around them they're picking off everyone who comes in between them and they set about their own political movement their own force for change we have a clip in which um matthew mcconaughey's new wife who's played by uh, Gugu and Bartha Raw in a really really she's good great. turn she's, she's great in this yeah. uh, Gugu and Bartha Raw is trying to convince him what to do and to move away for the future of their newborn child ain't just for you to decide that child has a choice I didn't have no choice what kind of life do you think is going to be better for him yeah, that ain't the boy. I don't want my boy to get lynched I want him to go to a school. I don't want him to drop his eyes every time a white man walked by. I don't want him to be a boy no more once he turned into a man. Don't you want that too? Of course I do. We got to go up north. It ain't your fault we lost that war. I know you tried to win it all by yourself. This is our home. First of all, I loved this. Mostly. I say mostly. mostly. It's about two hours, um, two and a quarter hours long. Right. Here's where it gets really weird. There is an entire secondary storyline to this film that doesn't need to be there that lasts about 20, 25 minutes that you could lop out, lose absolutely nothing from the film and would take it to about an hour 50, hour 55, and the film would be, be great. great. Now, what What is that storyline? That storyline takes place 85 years later, and this is they cut to this continuously through the film, 85 years later, and has the great-grandson of Matthew McConaughey's character in court on trial for a mixed-race marriage, for an interracial marriage. Really? Yes. Because none of that is present. In none of that's in the marketing, is it? Now, here's the thing. If you, if, this thing is mismarketed as well, because if you said the director of The Hunger Games is doing... Yeah, Gary Ross. It, Gary yeah. Ross, director of The Hunger Games, is doing McConaughey, Prince of Thieves. I am there minute one to see that movie. If you say, here's Matthew McConaughey in a Civil War drama, my response is really going to be... Okay. I'm going to check it out eventually. I'll, I'll, I'll see it eventually, because, yeah. you know, McConaughey and all, but I'm really not racing out. You say McConaughey, Prince of Thieves, and the Hunger Games, dude, I am so there. Mm. And you know what? Great. It works on that level. It's not got the joy of a, an Alan Rickman-style villain, which it really needs. It's not really got much in the way of villains. Um, but it has got McConaughey doing what he does best, doing the, all right, all right, I'm in the swamps, and I love him for it. <laughs> and, it and it is. It's it's just this, this brilliant civil war kind of almost an adventure romp in a strange way but it keeps its foot firmly placed in the this is the real world there are no flights of fancy here mm. sort of thing so it's based on the legend of this real guy 
and and his movement because it was in the county of Jones in Mississippi. That's where Hence the Free State the title, of Jones. Yeah. They declare themselves a free state. Um, we all know how that turned out. Um, historically, I was quite interested in it. A lot of it takes place during the Reconstruction, for instance, after the Civil War has a rising threat from the KKK, and it is a really gripping and really interesting film. But it's that subplot. Imagine just for a second if gravity cut away about every half an hour to five minutes of an Inyak or whatever it was called. Yeah, I wouldn't be that. You, you wouldn't that bothered really. Mm. Because no, but it would take you out of the narrative, wouldn't it? It would. It would Absolutely, take you out of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. Whether it was any good or not, it would take you out of the narrative entirely. Yeah. In this case, no. This subplot is awful. It didn't need to be there. It feels like a deleted remnant of another draft of the script, mm. and it ruins what is otherwise McConaughey, Prince of Thieves. And who doesn't want to see McConaughey, Prince of Thieves? That would be awesome. Maybe we'll see that in the future when I, they inevitably remake. I kind of just want them to make Prince of Thieves now with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I could. I can totally get on board with that. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, shall we finish off the box office top ten for the week, and then we can deal with uh, that man of his Swiss army nature? That neutral man? Neutral, neutral man? Impartial man. Neutral man will be the worst superhero. Neutral. Isn't that a future armor planet? The, planet? the neutral planet. <laughs> yeah. I have no particularly strong feeling about Yes. <laughs> if I don't make it through this, tell my wife, hello. <laughs> and on that note, the top ten. Number five. The girl with all the gifts. Which, you know what? This has actually done uh, pretty, not, not brilliantly well financially, but it's gotten really good critical buzz. It There's really a lot is. of people yeah. who are very big fans of it. And when you've seen the film, you, you think, okay, I can kind of see why because it has a distinct style. It does tread in the footsteps of 28 Days Later, but at least there's only one thing that it's really heavily borrowing from. Gemma Arton's got the heart and soul of it. You've got a great child lead in the child whose name I can never remember. You've got Paddy Constantine, you've got Glenn Close, you've got source material that's beloved, that's apparently been done justice, and you've got a really sharp screenplay by the original author, Mike Carey. It is an all-around, pretty great, pretty interesting, quite unique zombie package. And yeah, more like this, please. More like this, and less sort of standard, you know, direct-to-DVD zombie riffs. You know, that, that would be a nice change. Number four. Finding Dory. I don't know what else to say about Finding Dory. She's been found. She's this, been found. She's been point. found, yeah. man. She's been found. She's we been, know where she is. She's been found. We love her. You know, we'll love her again in future, but we need a break from Dory because, you know, we're just like one week off from loving Dory would be nice because we love and Dory every week now and it's just... There's only so, There's so much. I can only love so much. I only have so much love <laughs> to give Dory. I have such a to love. <laughs> Number three. Kubo and the two strings. I could love this all day. This has gone up, incidentally. It this has. and Dory have both gone up the top ten. And yeah. it's not been a children's school holiday or anything, has it? This last uh, week? I don't believe so. I know we're kind of out of touch with all that stuff, but Yeah, kids have only just gone back in the last yeah. couple of weeks. I so guess. Yeah. no, it's it's gone up unexpectedly. In the case of Kubo and the Two Strings, yes, yes, why not? This is a great, solid, very original animated film that's not based on an established property, <laughs> that is an original creation. No, that, that's quite rare these days. That is quite rare, and I applaud it for being that, but like you and I have both said there is this culminative feeling from all the previous Leica films and it is this phase one completion kind of a feeling yeah. it is the Avengers of the Leicaverse in one sense but although spinning all their characters into one film Avengers style now that would be interesting oh I'd love to see that would yeah to see that? Kubo and Coraline and, yeah, and, and the Paranormal box trolls and, and yeah, yeah that, would, that would be really interesting oh I'd love that see this is the thing Leica has such potential that it would be nice to see them do that mm. number two <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
You love it, don't you? I still love it so much. It's such a classic theme tune, isn't it? And yeah. annoyingly, in the in this remake, you don't get it until the very, very end of the film. At least you get it, though. You do get it, but at the very, very end yeah. of the film. Is, which it, is it just is seven. it straight, or is it like in uh, Blow Manger? No, no, no. They it, kind of sample it and then extend the theme out. No, there, there, you've got a score that has it embedded within it. Oh, okay. It is embedded within the score in certain they sequences. It they thread it through. In that... Uh, in, remember how the Iron Man 3 score went, where it had the central Iron Man jingle sort of embedded within little yeah, bits of its yeah. score? Like that. Like that. Like okay. that. You, like, it's not, like the little motifs. Yeah. It's yeah. not identifiably there, but it is there if you really want to look for it. And for some reason I did. But um, <laughs> I say, I, I didn't dislike Lone, uh, the Lone Gunman, the uh, Magnificent Seven. I didn't dislike the Magnificent Seven. I liked it. I didn't love it. And that's a problem for me because it's the Magnificent Seven and you really want to love the Magnificent Seven because yeah. it's the Magnificent Seven. And the thing is, this doesn't have anything anything approaching a feeling of grandeur, of Hollywood iconography, of this is going to last the ages. And the original one, not the original, but the 1961, does have that feeling all the way through. It has it embedded in its bones that we are making an iconic film. This just feels like a film. And this, more importantly, feels like an Antoine Fuqua film. It, a Fuqua film, a Fuqua if you film. will. It feels like a Fuqua film. It feels like... A Fuqua film western. And I'm kind of on board with that. I just wish it was a little bit more gleeful. I wish it was a little bit more fun. I wish it was willing to enjoy itself a little bit more than we're just going to go for Dower. And oh, look, there's Chris Pratt cracking wise. Yeah, and now we're Dower. And because we got Fuqua and we want some great action sequences, but in order to do great action sequences, we have to be miserable the rest of the time. And that's the thing. I don't want to be miserable in the Magnificent Seven movie. I want to revel in a Magnificent Seven movie. I don't get to do that. I get to like it. I don't get to love it. And I hate that. Number one. Bridget Jones's baby. Bridget Jones's baby. Have you spent any time with Bridget Jones's baby case? Have you, have you encountered the child yet? I have not encountered you the child. You have not encountered the child. I have not encountered child. the beast. No. You have not encountered the beast of Burton. No. <laughs> the beast of Bridget. Well, that would have a way better title. This is the thing. I didn't hate it. I did, I did laugh a few times. And the stuff in that you do quite like. Emma Thompson. It's it's hard not yeah, to like Emma Thompson. You can tell just by seeing the trailer that she's going to be the best thing in well, that film. You've also seen most of her role. That's, that's the unfortunate yeah, yeah. part. But within the context of the film, she is really great. I did really like Sarah Soleimani, though, as uh, Bridget's sort of new best friend mm. character. I liked her very much. Um, and, you know, there's there's moments of, like, Neil Pearson that's, that's quite fun. and there's this, But it's all let down by you've got a new character who's really thinly written stand-in for Hugh Grant. Yeah. You've got this sub You tell Hugh Grant was offered, didn't want to. Yeah. yeah. They offered him like five million. He's like, no, no, no. Sorry, I'm busy chasing down phone hackers. And, you know, <laughs> and then uh, and you've also got this storyline which seems to have been lifted from Maybe Baby about millennials taking over the media, etc. And you think, uh, Ben Alton kind of did this better. And it pains me to say that. Yeah, at the millennium. Yeah, yeah, kind of pains me to say that Ben Elton did this better, and it's something that isn't Blackadder. Um, you know, it's got its fans, it's got its audience. But that's it. If People you, are going to go. It's an it is established brand. At this that's point. it. Yeah. It's a brand film. If you're on board with Renee Zellweger as Bridget Jones, you're going to love this. And you know, if you're if, if you you know if you still to this day fancying the pants off you, uh, Colin Firth's. Mr. Darcy. Colin first, Mr. Darcy. Then you know what? You're still going to go and you're going to fancy the pants off the elder, Mr. Darcy. And it is that film. It has the fun. It has the the, the requisite sort of nervous swagger that the Bridget Jones movies do. And there's enough laughs in there. Some of the humour's a little bit out of touch. I mean, there's uh, gags in there about uh, Tinder and things like that. You're like, what, what, why? And it does manage to go through an entire pregnancy without once mentioning the logistics of actual pregnancy. But aside from that, fine. Fine, you know what? It is what it is. It's, it's a thing. 
it, it's a thing that happened. Rather like Swiss Army Man, which we're going to review now. Aha, segue. <laughs> These segues have not been our best. They have not been our best. They are not we catching usually, us. We usually pride ourselves on segues. Normally carefully scripted segues. Yeah. So, uh, Swiss Army Man, which is directed mm. by Daniels. First of all, that is my, one of my favourite things. Do, do you film. like that? Directed yeah, by Daniels. Directed by Daniels. Because you've got two directors named Daniel. Yeah. And so they both are Daniels. Re- Daniels. And it stars a Daniel as well. It does. Yeah. It stars a Daniel. So it's and, Daniel and, a, and a Dano. And a Dano. It stars a Daniel Daniel's and a Dano. And, a Dano. and is directed by two Daniels. So it's oh directed God. by. It's written and directed by Daniel Scheinart and Daniel Kwan. Mm. It stars Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano. Mm. So you, you don't know how to call the Swiss Army Dan. Swiss Army Dan. Swiss Army Dan. Quadruple threat of that, that's our new that's our new name for it. Swiss Army Dan. Swiss Army Dan. Oh, if, why please, have we not please that? hope this winds yeah. up in the in the top ten next week so we can do that. Swiss Army Dan. But okay, so this is the story of Hank played by a played by Paul Dano, who is like he's a sort of neglected twenty something. You know, uh, he's a millennial with problems. He's a millennial outsider type. Yeah. He is a, a castaway on a remote island who is, as the movie opens, is trying to hang himself. Hmm. He's trying to end his own life, and is interrupted by the arrival of a corpse, what a, the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe, no less, washing up on the beach, and he finds a possible solution to his problem, which is basically to use the body of Daniel Radcliffe as a sort of Swiss Army knife mechanism and use his various bodily functions to help him escape the island. And this includes... <laughs> And this includes the uh, how do we just sort of politely describe this? Using Daniel Radcliffe's uh, flatulence, flatulence, abilities. flatulence yeah. as a mechanism of constructing a speedboat with which he can escape the island, uh, only to wind up on another <laughs> island and then make his way through the jungle back to sort of civilization. Um, along the way, of course, he starts to bond with his corp- his his, his corpse like yeah. friend and winds up sort of reanimating him of all things. So. Yeah, here's a clip. Back in civilization, there's seven billion other living people on the planet just running around and blinking and breathing and eating, and you used to be one of them. You were probably just looking for happiness. That's what everyone does. This is what you look like when you're happy. You look for someone who will make you happy, a friend, a girlfriend, or a dog. Good boy. Good boy. Sometimes... You might be lucky enough to bump into the one person you want to spend the rest of your life with, and that is love. How much did you love it, Case? So much. So much. I know, it's so good, isn't it? I felt spoiled in the last week, because the Saturday before I saw this, I watched um, a Hunt for the Wilder People, Hunt for the which Wilder, obviously which two great. people yep. out in the wild, mm-hmm. and then I saw this film, which again, is sort of two people out in the wild. It's a good week for Castaways. Yeah, you could, watch, for you could watch these both, and it'd be just the best, weirdest, indiest double bill. Well, that's it. I mean, the thing is, yeah. this this has been generally referred to as the farting corpse movie. In, it in, has, but unfairly so, because it's got so much more it. There's more to it, it, isn't it? So there's a lot more, more to it. But it's like in that way that Brokeback Mountain was always referred to as the gay cowboy gay movie. Gay cowboy movie, yeah. This, is, this has been the farting, the farting corpse, corpse movie, movie, and you said something, that's kind of unfair, because there's so much more to it. Obviously, all eyes so are on Daniel Radcliffe uh, for, as, as the corpse, and yet, even that's unfair, because it's Paul Dano's movie. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he's got to be one of the most underrated actors around. He's up there with, uh, um, with Sam Rockwell. I would say Sam Rockwell and Bradley Whitford. He's up there. Bradley, yeah, as, as just most underrated people. Have you seen Bradley Whitford lately? By the way, 
Yeah, he looks a little bit like Wolf Blitzer. He does. He's got completely white, white hair. Yeah, he looks he? great. Yeah, yeah. really good. But, uh, he pulled that off <laughs> anyway. So, um, say so he's a very consistent but very underrated actor. Paul Dano. We'll mm. go for an extra minute on this, and yeah. um, because there's so much to say. There is so much to say. It's yeah. got just up. It's got this brilliant level of quirk. It has just this great momentum. It's got really unique that, shots as that's well. That's it. Visually, it is a sing. It's Some a very singular are, film. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It looks terrific. Mm. It's got such a, an off kilter sensibility. It's got momentum. It's almost ballistic in its momentum. At times, it literally is ballistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's got this terrific, touching bromance at the centre of it all. Mm. And these great performances. Great direction. Great screenplay. Loved the hell out of it. Um, have you heard um, what Paul Dano has said Go about on. the thing that made him eventually sign on to it? Go on, what do you got? He said that the script arrived at his house with a note from Daniels saying, yeah. we want the first fart in the film to make you laugh. And the last part of the film to make you cry. Oh, that's so good. I've signed up for it. Do you know what? That, actually, that, that kind of perfectly it describes it. Up, that it? does. Here's the thing with the film. It is not for everyone. It is one of those films you will either love or hate. But regardless of whether or not you love or hate it, you will respect it because of how unique and how singular and how specific a vision yeah. of a film is. I can't think is. of anything else like it. But um, yeah, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the music and the soundtrack. Yes, and of course yeah. one particular film theme gets brought up. And oh, we, don't, we, we don't want to... There's a no, film. There's a there's film, film. That's great. Yeah, no, no, we don't, we don't want to... I, I was going to say that the guy that did the music is in a band um, called Manchester Orchestra. The guy's called Andy Hall. And he's actually in the film, plays a cameraman. And does but, he? Um, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Really, really great band. But yeah, great film. It's a, it's a good supporting role, I think, for Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You never quite know what's yeah, going on yeah, there. Absolutely. Just, Just take the time. If you're even vaguely curious about the film, indulge yourself. Go and see it. Make up your own mind. And like I say, whether you love it or hate it, you will respect it. And it's very, very rare you actually get to say that about a film. And I love it for that. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So real quickly, we, we should talk about Southside with you. Um, in fact, before yes, we do that, let me just, bit of film news, bit of film news. Um, Justin Lin has got a really interesting one. He, he's, oh, yeah, I love this. <laughs> do you love this? Yeah. He's signed up. This is the guy that directed, what, f- three Fast and Furious movies? Uh, yeah, he did four as well. Yeah, four, five, and six. He did four, five, yeah. and six of the Fast and Furious series. And now he's going back to the world of vehicular warfare to direct Hot Wheels, which is a Mattel car brand. We literally found one on the back of your car earlier. so Which I did not know was there. You did not know yeah. was there. I've got a little DeLorean one that sits on my desk. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't, know so what, cool. I don't know what car yours is. It's, uh, it's like a, it, it is a blue car. It's a blue yeah. car. It's, it's a blue car. car. That's all we know. Yeah. We're, we're clearly the next Top Gear presenters. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. We'll take it from here. Um... So no, it's it's Hot Wheels. He's doing a Hot Wheels movie. I have no idea what this is going to be about. It did have a script written from the by the writer of uh, Donnie Brasco, which apparently is now going to what? be shelved. <laughs> I have no explanation. Weird. And yeah, so Justin Lin's doing Hot Wheels. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be part of a shared universe. I have no idea. All I know is choice. at one point McGee was going to direct this. So yeah, he's now doing Masters of the Universe. He's doing Masters of the Universe. He's got is that Hasbro or Mattel? I can't remember. I think that's Mattel. I think it's Mattel. Yeah. Okay. So Southside with you then, which is like before sunrise, but it's set in 1989 and involves the Obamas. So this is Barack Obama, who at no point in the film is referred to as Barry. Strangely. 
which, as far as I know, is his sort of casual name, isn't it? That's his everyday name. I think name. there is a reason for that. There is another film. Called about, Barry. Yeah, called Barry about Barack. Yeah, which I've been trying to find a cast list for and can't, but I'll get to that later. So it is the first date between Barack Obama, uh, who is a young legal student, a young legal associate, sorry, and his, uh, his senior colleague slash supervisor, Michelle Roberts. And they go on an evening, and he's interested in becoming a romantic thing, and she isn't. And, you know, there's issues of race and culture, and by the end of the night, do you think they'll have overcome their differences and, and found their footing as a couple? Well, why don't we let this incredibly mawkish clip sum it up for you. I thought we'd swing by the art center. There's an Afrocentric exhibit that's supposed to be... Wait, what is this? <laughs> what is this? I don't know. I mean, taking at face value, that's a pretty existential question, Michelle. What happened to the meeting? It doesn't start till four, so I thought we'd see some paintings, maybe grab a bite to eat. <laughs> we don't have to. Brock, you seem like a really sweet guy. But how many times do I have to tell you we're not going out together? Well, Michelle, thank you for saying that. You seem like a real sweet girl. But I have to correct you. We are, in fact, out, and we are, in fact, together. <laughs> not my ribs. So you didn't love it? Did not love it. Um, did not care for it, Bran. Uh, no, it is... An awful, awful film. Um, strangely, there are things to really like about it. This is a first-time film. This is a first-time filmmaker here. This is writer-director Richard Tanner. Uh, not Tanner. Ta- Tane. Or T-A-N-N-E. Tanner? Tanner. Tanner. We'll go on. And uh, so what you've got, you've got really well cast. You've got Parker Sawyers as Barack Obama. You've got uh, Tika Sumter from Ride Along. They definitely do indeed look the part. They sort of look the part. I would argue Michelle Obama is more attractive than, than Tika Sumter. She's got more uh, of a gun show going on, Michelle. More of a gun show. In, in I, real life, yeah. I, 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 Michelle Obama just does it for me a little. I, 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 she does it. It's, it's for power, man. It's, it is the power and thing. She's, just, she's cool. She's it so is. cool. She does. I have yeah. that I have that, uh, that Phil Dunphy thing. I just like. I just love powerful women. Yeah. Anyway, um, so here's the problem. You want before sunrise, you get a Lifetime movie with two great performances, one admittedly better than the other because he's managed to walk the fine line between homage and impersonation. His Obama is spotless, by the way. Mm. You have, however, got one of the worst scripts you've ever seen attached to a made-to-a-film ever. And, I mean, that dialogue, oh, we, you know, we are out, we are together. And you're like, oh my god, really? It lasts 84 minutes. They're 84 of the longest minutes you'll ever sit through. And, wow... It, Put it this way, the script for this is so genuinely appalling for the most part that it verges on Tommy Wiseau territory, genuinely. I'm I'm not making that up. There are moments in this film... Their version of Michelle Roberts or Michelle Obama, whatever you want to call it, is basically a woman who spouts monologues. Uh, the, the ending is signposted at the beginning. It's just dreadful. You watch this thinking, you know what... This might be about their first date, but for me it's the kind of thing you'd show someone before a breakup. It is just nauseating and yet Richard Tanner terrible writer great director looks fantastic Mm. looks like a great film plays like a worse film and no no there's a great moment in the film which there's a great moment actually in the second act there's a whole uh, monologue uh, in which Obama is giving a speech yeah that's that's in the trailer yeah, and you think, okay, brilliant, he's got this. This is an Obama speech. Perfect. It works. Unfortunately, that's about the best point in it. There's also a moment in which she says, no, you take the word no and you shuffle the letters around, you've got on. And you think, yeah, that's kind of funny because most of this film is putting me off. So, no, avoid it like the play. Do not show this to your worst enemy. It is just bad. Weird. 
it is just yeah. no. I mean, put it this way. I mean, Jen, this you know, this is pretty thing. much a universal acclaim. I know, which is strange, I know. Yeah. But just put it this way. I sat through the whole thing and just turned around and said, Do you know what? I now have a genuine reason to hate John Legend because his name is attached to this. Yes, it is. And yeah, no. no. Other than a reason, but he is married to Chris Teagan. Yeah, well, everyone hates him for that. But... <laughs> Goes without saying. I thought the worst thing to come out of John Legend's house was that cookbook. But no, it turns out this is actually worse. So, real quick then, because we're under the gun now, let's talk about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which is the latest from director Tim Burton. And I'm going to just cut to the chase on this one for you, spoil it for you. I liked this, despite the fact that I loathe Tim Burton's contemporary films. Good. And I'm two for two with Tim Burton movies. That's two in a row that I've enjoyed. And what was the last one? Big Eyes. Big, I quite enjoyed Big Eyes. I enjoyed Big Eyes yeah. because it wasn't a standard Tim Burton film. Maybe he's just he's needed a, some time. He's needed some time away from Johnny. We'll get to it. Actually, yeah, we will get to that. We'll get to that. So, right, basic gist. This is based on the novel by the brilliantly named Ransom Riggs. Fantastic Fantastic. How's, that, that already sounds like a character from a Tim Burton film. How is he not a stage magician? His name uh-huh. is Ransom Riggs, or a celebrity kidnapper. Anyway. <laughs> Bumble Ward. Bumble Ward, yeah. Tim Burton's publicist, <laughs> is a man named Bumble Ward. So based on the Ransom Riggs novel from about five years ago, this is the story of a young man named Jake, played by Arthur Butterfield. His, his grandfather, Abel, is played by Terrence Stamp. He is violently killed and his eyes removed under mysterious circumstances. Jake starts to look into what happened and discover that all the stories his grandfather told him as a child weren't in fact stories and were real and this leads him to Wales where he discovers a mysteriously cloaked within a time bubble slash loop school for peculiar children who are basically in this version they're sort of like mutants but supernaturally inclined and they are watched over by their own Professor X who is in fact Miss Peregrine who's played by Ava Green who can turn into a bird and has the ability to control time this film is never going to escape the X-Men it's it's never going to. I'll tell you what, here's a clip and we'll see if it works for you. Peculiars have been persecuted through the ages. Hence, we live in places like this. I'm a type of peculiar called an imbrine. Yeah, you turn into a bird. Well, I do, yes. But that's not very useful. An imbrine's main skill is the manipulation of time. We choose a safe place, a safe day, and create a loop. What do you mean? Well, a loop reserves the last 24 hours. Reset the loop, and the day is yours to live in again. Reset it daily, and you can stay there forever. Entirely safe from the outside world. Every embryne commits herself to the creation and upkeep of a place like this. A home for peculiar children. Golfing clap for the title there. And uh, no, that sets it up quite succinctly. It does, doesn't it? Now, I really like this. Tim Burton's taken a step back and he has detached himself. There is some of a, somewhat of a visual element where you can still tell it's a Tim Burton movie. <clears throat> but I like that it's not as drenched and not as over reliant on his visuals as his previous films have been. This is, this is also the, t- the one film since Sleepy Hollow, I think, that has the most momentum of anything he's done. This has something of a quite enjoyable pacing. It's well cast. I like Arthur Butterfield. He seems to go away for a couple of years at a time, come back, remind us he's great, and then go away again. Is he, is he Ender? Of he's Ender's Ender. Game. Ender of Ender's Game. He's yeah. Hugo of Hugo fame. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was briefly mentioned as Spider-Man at one point. Yeah, I think he was top five. Top five. Yeah, and it's not hard to see why. He ha- he He's clearly a great little performer. Um, you've got Ella Purnell, who makes for quite a captivating, wide-eyed, Burtonian sort of a lead. Ava Green obviously belongs to this kind of film. <laughs> 
<clears throat> and probably the weakest point to it all is Samuel L. Jackson, who turns up as the villain and really doesn't have much given him in the way of challenge. But he's still Samuel L. Jackson, so he kind of runs with it, has some fun, and it works. I like it. Um, visually, it's got some it's got some interesting things going on for it. Jane Goldman's script is, yeah, for the most part, quite good. It does inject a just enough character to work. Um, it trips itself up over the sort of timey-wimey aspects of it, which is more about the actual source material than anything else but it gets the characters right and it keeps mm. you interested and I like that about it it says a lot actually that you're so interested in the film and the, and its characters that you don't care about it tripping over the timey stuff I mean if you zone out for even a second you find yourself coming back and they're talking about oh you know we'll hop from time loop A to you know temporal portal B and you're like oh, I, yeah, oh I'm enjoying it who cares and that's fine you know by the end of it I really like it it is Tim Burton does X-Men and you know, that's fine. It that's absolutely fine. Yeah. We're never going to get Tim Burton back in the superhero genre again, for obvious reasons. I think he's kind of burnt out on that idea. And I think having done, well, about a week's work on Superman lives has kind of soured him forever. But you know what? If this is as close as we get, then it's it's as good as. I really enjoyed it. And I never thought I would say in a silent scene about a Tim Burton movie. Although, two for two now. But one I've enjoyed the most, I think, since Sleepy Hollow. His next one is uh, Dumbo, I believe. Oh, of course, yeah. Dumbo to look forward to. Oh, okay. So it's not Film of the Week. Anyway, no, Film of the Week, uh, of course, Swiss Army Man. Yes. I think we've got to give it to Swiss Army Man. Not a not an awful week, though. Not an awful week. Pretty good week. choices. Pretty good options. week. I've got to give it that. There have been some interesting ones. And, of course, Podcast Extras, we'll talk about you know one, well, one more interesting one and one that's just ghastly. Um, next week, we've got The Girl on the Train, which is quite anticipated, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it is. It's, it's, uh, it is your lady, your lady, Miss Ferguson, is back in that, I believe. And my lady, Miss Blunt, as well. Oh, and Miss Blunt and yeah. Miss Bennett. And, and Miss Jenny. All, all my gals. <laughs> all your gals. Oh all your gals are there. Uh, we've got uh, Louis Theroux with my Scientology movie next week. This is going Can't to wait. be Can't really wait. something. Yeah. Um, Mel's back, baby. Mel Gibson is back in the brilliantly titled Bloodfather. Oh, how is that not going to work? Oh, it looks so bad, but I can't wait. I just need it to be a Grindhouse film with that title. That's what you yeah. mean. Uh, we've got The Greasy Strangler next week as well. Yeah, I, I look forward to that. This looks like something, uh, well, from very left field. We've got the Lenny McLean documentary, The Governor, next week. Hmm. And uh, this is the thing, I don't really know about I'm Lenny McLean, sure about other it, than no. he turned up in Lockstock. So I don't really know about him. And, of course, Give Me Gin and Tonic, because... Oasis are going supersonic. Can't wait. The Oasis documentary from the producers of Amy is finally here. Supersonic. I cannot wait for this film. And you and your adolescence in the 90s. Did you not like Oasis growing up? No, not a fan? Not no, you're not, you weren't really of that sort of deal. That's fine, that's fine. I like Noel. You like Noel? Everyone likes that's Noel. It. Nobody likes Liam, except Liam. Liam really likes Liam. So yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that we'll get to that next week then. So this has been a Candy Store production for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been as always Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, Mr. Allen. So, where shall we begin this week? Oh, oh, music biopics. You're a big fan of those, aren't you? I like music, I like films, I like biopics. Exactly. So this is like a perfect package for you, really. Mm. Roy Orbison's going to get one. Did you know about this? Really? Roy Orbison's going to get one. It's going to be called, wait for this, The Big O. Colon. Of course it's called... Oh, that's amazing. The Big O, Roy Orbison. Yes, this is coming. This is in development now. Why has that not happened 10, 15, 20 years earlier? I have no idea. Not a clue. Who would you get to play Roy Orbison? 
off the top of your head, anyone in the world, who would you get to get to play Roy Other Orbison? than Kevon Wallace. Other than Kevon Wallace. And that's your answer for everything. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> really? Oh, there's someone really obvious, but I can't oh, think you of know, I saw a picture of Merlin and thought, oh, I knew who I'd get, and I've forgotten it. And, and that's, that's annoying. <laughs> Uh, Carrie Elvis. Carrie Elvis. Oh, that's pretty, always a pretty good bit of casting, actually, Carrie Elvis. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Paul Dano, we were talking about in, in Swiss Army Man. Yes. Um, yes he's making his directorial debut. Do you know about this? Yeah, I did hear about this. This, this is called yeah. Wildlife. It's going to be based on a novel of the same name. He's going to star Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Well, if you've got to start somewhere, you might as well get people like that. Start at the bottom and work your way up yeah. to the big stars. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd uh, say so loads of film news we skipped. Oh, Viola Davis is going to start in Steve McQueen's next project. Yeah. Widows! <laughs> Widows! Which this is pretty big news. Isn't this it? is pretty big news because yeah. this is based on the Linda LaPlante miniseries from the 80s. It's going to be written by Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen. Oh, really? Um, co writing it? They're co writing it together. So, author, author cool. and screenwriter of Gone Girl and Steve McQueen are write this as a movie. The story is about a bunch of hardened widows. Widows! Um, sorry, we need to stop making American Dad references. Widows! A uh, bunch of hardened widows whose spouses have all died on a notoriously dangerous heist, and the widows unite to finish the heist. And Viola Davis that is going to be one great. of them. So, yeah. Who else will be uh, joining that cast? Gina Gershon. Any day now. And any, any I, day I just now. want Gina Gershon. I want Gina Gershon in all films ever. I love Gina Gershon. Did you hear about uh, Transformers 5 controversies? Because Gina Gershon's not in it. Uh, yeah, I heard about it. I did hear about it. Oh, no, she is. She's, she's been added. She, she has, she's Boobatron. <laughs> Michael Bay needs Gina Gershon, damn it. Of course he does. No, no, she's not jailbait enough for him. That's so, it, yeah. Uh, she, yeah, that's it. It's a little bit too old. Yeah, it's a little bit, about three decades too old for, for Michael Bay. Okay, well, uh, Transformers 5 uh, currently uh, being shot in the UK. Indeed. Uh, one of the places uh, was... Um, uh, the birthplace of uh, Sir Winston Churchill. Yes, I have heard about this. Isn't it being used as the Nazi headquarters for some reason? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, first of all, why are there Nazis in a movie that's supposedly about Arthurian mythology? Yeah, and has Merlin. And has and, Merlin. And, and, and also, does this mean Anthony dinosaurs as well apparently indeed <laughs> dinosaurs i rarely swear on the show that was appropriate <laughs> that was appropriate you do realize they were in age of extinction as well right well the dinobots yeah yeah there's something else isn't it no it's dragons it's dragons, dragons. In this one. dragons. yeah, yeah sorry <laughs> dragons <laughs> that was also appropriate uh, yeah but uh, now michael bay is now um he's weighed in and he said that uh and i quote winston churchill uh winston churchill uh would be smiling down on us. Oh, and in our film, Winston Churchill is a hero. Okay, as opposed to So reality. we just put some swastikas on the place where he was born. <laughs> as you do. As you do. That's what we do. That, that's, that's totally what we do. It's like yeah. painting rainbows on Gary Glitter's house. You know, it's just a strange <laughs> thing that you do. <laughs> Actually, that would be kind of sick in context now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about Jumanji. You tell me about Jumanji, Bergo. What was the story yeah, of that? Yeah. Sorry, um, Tumanji. 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 As it needs to two be called. Two Man 2G. We get it. It's cool. I was already odd with uh, Zoolander 2 not being called Zoolander. <laughs> obvious guy. That was a working on. title, actually. Was it actually? It's actually a working title. It, was too it should have been the actual title, and oh, it would have it been totally the best thing be. about that film. So, go on. You were exp- you were going to explain to me exactly how it's a sequel. Okay. Well, originally, it mm-hmm. was it was sort of rumored that it was going to be about people who were trapped in the game, and that's how I always wanted a sequel to Jumanji to be. So, I trapped was... in the game in the way that Robin Williams was, but then got out. But then got out. Yes. Because he spent like 20, 25 years in it, didn't he? Alan Parrish. Yeah. Something, yeah Alan Parrish, something like that. Yeah. Because it was a. There's a lot of controversy about a picture that was released, the first ever picture from the new film. Right. Well, this is the one with Karen Gillan in the very, very, very tiny outfit. 
Yeah. Which I, I'm going to be really honest. I, I have no objection to. Um, I, I can always stand I, to but see But then more again, of, I can uh, I can see Carol. where people will, ha- will take issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. But then people thought that it might be because she got trapped in the game as a child. Yes. That and, was and, her her yeah. only outfit, and then she just outgrew the clothes naturally. I guess. As you do. As yeah. you do. Uh, apparently, that's not going to be it because we've now cast four young actors mm-hmm. who in- Nick Jonas is one, isn't he? No, that's the thing. He's not playing one of these four teenagers. Oh, is he, he one? Okay. He's going to be in the jungle. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a picture of him with Dwayne The Rock Johnson in, in, in the actual jungle. Do we still have to call him Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Yes, we do. Can it just be Rock or no, Dwayne Johnson? No, no, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. This is fair enough, name. fair enough. Yeah, Esquire. Um, so it's now, apparently, this is still rumoured, it's not been confirmed by Dwayne The Rock Johnson on mm-hmm. Instagram. Well, yeah, everything gets confirmed everything by Dwayne Johnson on Instagram. Dwayne The Johnson on Instagram, yeah. Um, it's going to be about uh, four kids who are playing a video game. And those characters, so Nick Jonas, Cameron Gillen, Dwayne Verrott Johnson, they're going to be the avatars. Oh my god. So it's yeah. going to be Jumanji.com? Yeah, which I don't want. <laughs> I don't want that. Fair enough. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a novel take. We've got to give it that. <sighs> it's, but it's just, it's about, oh, it's 2016, let's yeah. make it digital. Uh, it no, just, no. yeah. It's not, it's not harking to what the film is. Well, otherwise, how do you get that is. Steam product placement? You know, that's the question. If you don't yes. do that, how do you get your tie-in game? That's how do you get your point. tie-in Telltale game series if you're not tied it in with like Steam? Yeah. I'll I'll see what it's like obviously when the phone comes out. Let's be honest, we're all going to see it, and we're probably we're all going to enjoy it because Dwayne Johnson's not turning out much in the way of bad stuff the last few years. So yeah, it, no. it'll be. Oh, right. I'll be crushed if San Andreas Two is bad. Crushed. I think we all will. Like Kyle Minogue under the weight of a building, I'll and then crushed. and then emotionally we rebuild. <laughs> American flag. <laughs> you know we have. By the way, there is a moment in Deepwater Horizon in which, in the middle of all the chaos, John Malkovich stops and looks up at the uh, the waving slow mo American oh, flag. It has to happen. Cut back later to it on fire, of course. But mm. yeah, uh, I, I did notice that moment. I just wrote it down in my notes, like you know, one hour seventeen. Uh, Who does the score for that film? By the way, is it Explosions in the Sky? Do you know, I don't know off the top of my head. Is it very ethereal guitars and... I, do you know, I forget offhand. I think I did write it down somewhere. Yeah, but they I, they uh, seem to do all of his films, bar Battleship. Explosions in the Sky, are they not the ones who did Prince Avalanche? Uh, yes, they did, I think, yeah. yeah. Ooh, I, look at me remembering things about I, music. I liked that film, obviously. That is a case film. That is a case film. That is an awesome film. And, yeah, I really uh, liked it. That is a film I saw about six months before release and kept telling everyone, it's going to be great, it's going to be great, it's going to be huge when it opens. It did nothing. No. no. It did nothing. Pop started uh, into the top ten. Either, that's, so, that's true, you know, that's true. Heard in, into the top ten. So We had this conversation last week. Yeah, yes. I, I remember, Always remember. I remember recognising, um, I remember recommending uh, Prince Avalanche to some people at uh, the cinema. They didn't know what to go see, and I was like, "Oh, go 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 check out this place! Amazing!" They left after thirty minutes, and then came straight to me, and they were like, "Why the hell did you? Why would us? you do this to us? <laughs> Why would someone do this to us? Because it was either that or whatever drivel we were showing at the time." <laughs> uh, true. Early twenty thirteen was a bad yeah. time. Early twenty thirteen. Yeah, it was early something like that. Yeah, I'm sorry for wanting people to go see better films. I know. What were you thinking? So let's talk about Tharlo real quick. Uh, not an awful lot to say on this one. This is a very slow burn uh, Chinese drama. <clears throat> it is about the. Uh, it's about a middle aged orphan. He's he's grown up in a remote uh, remote sort of uh, rural region. And he's he's grown up without really knowing an awful lot about himself or his origins, doesn't know his own date of birth, for instance, and is in the process of getting himself an ID card so that he can sort of feel more uh, 
in tune with the real world. People are always telling him, you don't have an ID, you're not a person. And uh, he says, he's a very simple guy, he's a sheep herder, he's got a memory like you wouldn't believe, and he remembers every Mao, uh, Maoist monologue that you've ever heard, remembers complex mathematical figures, remembers everything. Um, but other than that, he's quite a, lives quite a simple life, quite a simplistic guy, doesn't an awful lot by himself, and one day has a ghost of a photo for his ID card. And he's told, uh, why don't you go and get a go and get your hair washed while you're here? Because, you know, you're, you're a farmer. You're not really looking your best. Goes to a local hairdresser's and meets the local hairdresser. And seems to become immediately smitten. And what happens then is this sort of, this emotional journey that he goes through in sort of finding himself in her, in finding comfort with this, this local girl, who he only really knows fleetingly, who he spends a night just to sleep with in finding out what kind of man he really is. At the centre of it all is uh, Shade Nima, and great performance, really captivating performance, and you can't help but be taken in by It's all shot in black and white, and it's very, very static imagery. It's very still frame. But given the material, you kind of feel like it kind of has to... You feel like any real movement or any, um, any more editing to it, it would feel sort of against what it stands for. Uh, it is very interesting, but it is really long. It's two hours, three minutes, and you start thinking... There's like an 80-minute drama in this tops. There is a lot of meandering. Right. There is a lot of slow-burn character-paced stuff. There's yeah. a lot of awkward silences. And although they are part of what makes it what you kind of wish that they'd been dialed down a little bit, that there was a little bit more thrust put on the story rather than allowing said story to unfold at this rather lumbering pace. At the centre of all I say, his performance is great. His performance is absolutely terrific. It's written and directed by uh, Pema Saden, and not terribly familiar with their work. But, uh, no, I, I did really like it. it. It's unlike anything else I've seen in quite a while, but I wish it picked up the pace a little. Yeah, so you did a little bit more of a push. A little bit. But it's more by the end of it, I was counting sheep. You know, just, just kind of put it in that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, North Film News, uh, Robin Hood yes. Origins. Yes. This, this is, is weird. bizarre, this yeah. one. So this is the Taron Egerton... Uh, this is Lionsgate's Robin Hood franchise movie, because Robin Hood colon Origins, there is going to be a series of these, apparently. Mm. Uh, Taron Egerton as, you know, Robber the Hood. Yeah, uh, the guy that should be playing Will Scarlet. Yeah, and then yeah. you've got Jamie Dornan now, who's signed on to be Will Scarlet. Yeah, the guy that maybe would probably make a better Robin Hood. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you've got Jamie Foxx as Little John. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's just... Nice. That is like, just mental. pick a name out of a hat. That's just... That's just... Who's who's going to sell this in China? Uh, I don't know. Jamie, Jamie Foxx? He was Electro. He was Electro. They yeah. sold Spider-Man in China, and that can't have anything to do with the, with, with the kid they had playing Spider-Man. Let's just get the villain. Um, and then you've got Eve Hewson as uh, Maid Mary. Now, here's where it gets interesting. In this new who's version... Play, who's playing Maid Mary? Sorry. Eve Hewson. Not Toby I'm not sure. Don't know her. Um, this is where it gets interesting. In this new version, Will Scarlet is married to Maid Marian. Which oh, okay. that's, doesn't that's, make that's her maid Marion anymore, surely. It kind of makes her mistress Marion, surely, Marian. or matron Marion. But, uh, yeah. And the idea is that, you know, Tyrod Egerton shows up and, and has a love rival with Will Scarlet. So, you know, I kind of preferred it when it was Christian Slater and they were brothers, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, a bit in Prince of Thieves when it's like... <laughs> you are my brother, Robin! <laughs> Maybe I do like that film, just remember that. Come on, bit. you do, man. How can you dislike a movie that has Morgan Freeman and Christian Slater in it? I mean, really? And one of the cheesiest campus bad guys ever, as well. <laughs> Cancel Christmas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do love that. Cut your heart out with a rusty spoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why a spoon, cousin? 
<laughs> you know what? We watched. Um, oh, in... what, what's his name? The guy that plays the with the long hair, Michael Wincott. Yes. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. Here's what gets interesting. I watched Prince of Thieves and, and 1993's The Three Musketeers back to back. Oh, Rushfoot. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because because they are very similar things. Because uh, Three Musketeers was conceived as an attempt to replicate the success of Prince of Thieves. Hmm. Sorry, uh, Three Musketeers was conceived as an yeah. attempt to replicate. Yeah. Um, hence, even the theme song is sort of similar and has Brian and Adams. It's got back. Brian Adams in it. Yeah. Only this time they added Sting and Rod Stewart for good measure. Because every song needs extra Sting. And and yeah, because someone heard a Brian Adams song and said, "Do you know what this needs? Rod Stewart." Yep. And which is that? That's that's the ravings of a madman right we need, there. We need twice the gravelly voice. We need twice the gravelly voice and get us Sting as well. Get us that Jordan bloke. Yeah, and and also, what's Charlie Sheen up to? He can be the priest, <laughs> which is just metal. I love that film. I do. So much. Rochefort sounds like a particularly <laughs> smelly kind of a cheese. <laughs> I mean, of a plat from the time of his life. Yeah, though. the the best version of of. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. It totally is. I, I love I mean, Oliver Reed is great. Obviously, like classic, but Oliver Platt was fantastic. Just... Who was your favorite of the three Musketeers? In that movie, what, that in, in that movie, yeah, is it Porthos? I would probably say Porthos. Okay, I'm but, all. But I'm, then again, Sutherland's Athos, yeah, man. Kiefer Athos. Sutherland as Athos, that has got it going on. And also Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu. You can't deny that. Yeah, he was great. All for one, and all for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. That's getting watched this it, Sunday. It totally. I mean, I, I watched it the other weekend, so I can't, I've got I've got Luke Cage this weekend. So uh, yeah. let's see. Um, I've got a couple of bits. Go on, um, I will stick with Marvel. Okay, give me, actually. give me something brief, and then we'll do one of the shadows. Okay, and we'll come back. Uh, Stanley, he's filmed the next four. Oh, he has, hasn't of he? His uh, cameos, his obligatory MCU cameos, which he seems to have done in record time. <laughs> I think they just they fly him to Atlanta once a year, bash out a bunch just with like some green screen trickery. Yeah, it's just like it's ace. That's it. It's got to be done on green screen because they can't. They, they aren't, there are no sets for Black Panther yet. Sure, no, yeah. This has this hasn't been made. No, no. Yeah. Films that haven't been made, they've got the Stan Lee cameos in the back. <laughs> you imagine you're Chadwick Boseman. You know you're out for a weekend with your boys. Yeah. Marvel colors. <laughs> Listen, we need you in Atlanta because Stan Lee's coming down. So just grab your Black Panther suit, come down, film this thing. He's like, we we haven't got a movie yet. Like, yeah, we don't care. We we, we got Stan Lee, and he's he, he's yeah. getting on a bit. So you know, no time like the present. Chop chop. I like that Stan Lee is now so old that he struggles to remember people's names so he just calls them spider friend <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> that's great <laughs> right okay great. let's talk about under the shadow then real quick uh, which brilliantly enough has the exact same to the minute runtime as south side with you and yet is about 96 times better this is an iranian feminist horror movie by baba kanvari written and directed by and this is really something so this is set in um in in, in during the iran iraq war and at a point when um, you've got a medical doctor who is who has been drafted, he's doing his service, he's going to the front, and he leaves behind his wife and young daughter. And the young wife is played by uh, Nargis Rashidi. I not, don't know her from anything else, but she, she plays the mother here. And what you've got is very much the mum starts to see things. The mum starts to feel a presence around the house. Her daughter, meanwhile, is acting strangely, keeps popping off on her own. She's got a doll that keeps disappearing and keeps reappearing. Strangely things are happening and in the middle of it all you've got this you know around it all you've got the actual conflict going off so this is all happening in the middle of a war that is affecting the you know the general everyday everyday populace yeah. it is 
really, really gripping. It is really solid. And yet, I mean, you say you've got a, a fantastic performance by, by Nadia Jirashi. She's absolutely terrific. And this is lip-quiveringly brilliant. However, despite how well put together, despite how suspenseful, despite how genuinely terrifying it is at times, and it is, this can have you perched on the edge of your seat in dread. The problem with it all is it all goes a bit mama towards the end. Do you remember Mama, the Guillermo del Toro produced one, wasn't it? Yeah, the guy that is uh, now doing it. Yes. Well, when he did Mama, you had a film that was absolutely brilliant for about ninety percent of its runtime, and then towards the end, you know, piled on the CGI, it all fell to pieces. You lost any credibility of its terror, and this falls into exactly the same trap. And it is a shame because it's so good, it's so gripping, it's so well performed. And then it all just falls to hell with this overly CGI ending. And you're like, oh. And the weird part as well is that CGI, without going into spoiler details, involves some absolutely terrifically symbolic imagery, some absolutely fantastic iconography, specifically in terms of its culturalism, in terms of its multiculturalism. There is something absolutely unique happening there, but it's all squandered on subpar computer animation, and it feels like such a shame because you are gripped. The ending of it really leaves you in a place where you're left to contemplate things. Mm. And it's, I think this is a movie release as well, because this is oh, something really? which seems to be coming up a lot more lately. It really does, yeah. But this is this is the latest movie release, because we had Green, uh, a Blue Room. What was the one we had last week, the movie one? Oh, what was it? Barden Barden. Oh, was that movie Barden, as well? Barden yeah. and then we got Under the Shadow Now. They've got another one coming out in a few weeks that sounds absolutely brilliant. This just seems to be becoming the new thing. It's almost, I'm actually starting to think I might have to subscribe to Mubi. It might actually be worthwhile. Might be an idea. <laughs> might be worthwhile actually subscribing to Mubi. But yeah, Under the Shadow, check it out. If you like your vintage, uh, your classical, you know, bug house, woman alone in an apartment horror movies, if you like your Rosemary's Babies type tales, check this out. And with its sort of Iranian flair, there is something very unique to it. It did have me genuinely hooked. Hmm. So the film is, oh, hang on. Uh, we've got to talk about talk about uh, the Orient Express. Meanwhile, that was what I was. Have you got that one next. as well? I will let you handle this one, sir. There's some names attached to this. Now, we're not attached. There's, they're linked. They're some linked. Names in the past as well. But well now that's it. Dropped out. Well, we had um, Angelina Jolie, didn't we? Originally, yeah. Originally, and then she's dropped out because apparently she's got some stuff going on. Um, she's got some personal, uh, personal some, some, some personal stuff. She got yeah. personal stuff. Yeah, there's a sequel to Mister and Mrs. Smith being cooked up as we speak. And <laughs> well, it's just Miss Smith. <laughs> it's just Miss Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which he's he's left as she's looking for the next guy. Yeah, and that's that's totally what happens. And oh, and Ryan Reynolds stars. That's what happens. And and Blake Lively plays Blake Lively yeah. plays a supporting character. That's totally what's going to happen. And it ain't going to end well. Anyway, <laughs> get me Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> get me Doug Lyman immediately. <laughs> But put down your DC movies. We have a job for you. Um, so this is really uh, you've now got Johnny Depp and Charlize Theron who've been linked to this as well. Ah. Here's, 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 here's what have you got? Oh, and Michelle Pfeiffer, sorry. That's what I was going to say. Oh, is that what you say, got? Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, Charlize Theron has now departed. Oh, she's not departed. Okay, so um, Johnny Depp, you got... Yeah, yeah. presumably Michelle Pfeiffer is now the one being eyed to play the role that was... was um, is, is the job just and... let's find a blonde? I guess is so, yeah. just the job? Just get some hair dye for someone. Just, yeah. <laughs> just get Sandy Bullock in and bleach her. Come on. <laughs> She did it for Blindside. She won an Oscar. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. And you know what? She still looked as alluring as ever. Good old Sandy. She doesn't age that woman. She doesn't. Yeah. But uh, okay. Uh, Terence Winter. Have you heard of him? He's written a few films. He's yeah. Made a what few was shows. we were talking about last week with Terence Winter? He was doing one last week. Oh, what was it? We talked about it. 
We might have already done this news then. What is it? Let's do it again. Go um, on, is it? Uh, Scarface. He's writing yes. Scarface. Oh, no, no, no. We didn't do Scarface. No, no. He was writing something else last week. Oh, well, do you know what else he's writing? Go on. Scarface. Okay, well, there yeah. you go then. This is the contemporary one by Fuqua, isn't it? This is going to be a future Fuqua film. Future Fuqua film. That was hard to say. A future Fuqua film. A future Fuqua film. Yeah. Future Fuqua film. Yeah, yeah, okay. Try saying it three times fast. See if you can do it, ladies and gentlemen. And then Antoine Fuqua appears <laughs> behind you. If you say if you say if you say Fuqua film, future Fuqua film into a mirror three times. What was the one? Um what was the one I read a meme the other day? If you say pumpkin spice latte into a mirror three times, a white suburban girl appears yeah. in your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh. I had a pumpkin spice latte a couple of days ago. I love a pumpkin spice great. latte. I do love a pumpkin yeah. spice latte. Um, there's a rumour, by the way, that Luke Evans is going to be folded back into the Universal Classic Monsters universe. Oh, really? I've not yeah. heard that. Because you know he did Dracula Untold? And it of had, course, yeah. It that was that, supposed to like kick it off, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it had that post-credits thing that clearly placed it the, the present sting, day yeah. as well. And that was it was then it was then revealed it was going to be discounted. Hmm. And now yeah, apparently we're going to like, reboot it with back. the mummy. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I kind of hope not, because if Marvel ever get around to doing a version of uh, of Namor, mm. that's who I would want. You'd want him for Namor? Yeah. <clears throat> I remember I remember many years ago when David Boreanaz was was lobbying for the role of Namor. Really? Yeah, that was his thing. He really, really wanted to be Namor. No um, one wants to be Namor. <laughs> well, no, but I can remember a time when David Boreanaz was in line for the Chris Pratt role in Jurassic World, so... You know. Shut up, really? No, oh, yeah, before it was even called Jurassic World. Be- Jurassic Planet. Genuinely, it was going to be about training oh, yes. dinosaurs for the military, and Dave Boreanaz was going to be that character. <laughs> and then he sort of, it evolved and he became uh, Chris Pratt. I hope we have a prequel just about Vinny D'Onofrio. <laughs> <laughs> Militarising anything that he can get. It's, it's just repurposed footage from Full Metal Jackets. Yeah. Um, Black Panther has got a new cast member. Oh, yeah, who is this? Go on. You watch Person of Interest, don't you? So, I do watch Person of Interest. I'm assuming you are familiar with this guy. Uh, he's called uh, Winston Duke. Winston Duke. Okay, I'm not on, sure who he plays. I'm going to Google Winston Duke, Person of Interest. Yes. You will Let's see have a game. Please don't tell me it's who I think it is. Black Panther, Person of Interest, Winston Duke. Okay. Uh, don't know. Oh, he's Dominic. Yes, he was Dominic. Oh, yeah. he, was the, he was the villain in like the last season or two of, of Person of Interest. He oh, was right. terrifying as oh, well. Oh, really? Well, that's good news because he's going to be a bad guy in yeah. Black Panther. He was jet put it this way: to be a villain in Person of Interest requires you to be absolutely terrifying. Pretty massive. And despite the fact that Cameron Manheim did it for two mm. seasons, you have to be terrifying. I mean, the, the photo I've got on my phone right now—he doesn't look particularly menacing because he's just got like a big cheesy grin. I would look him like up. Nice just guy. look him up. Uh, Winston Person of Interest, and he—he he really is. He's—he's he's really something in that show. Well, the character he is playing in Black Panther is called. Go on. It's. I think it is Mbaku. 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 All right, okay. Or AKA Man Ape. And it looks huh. like he wears a big ape like thing. On okay, his head. fair, fair enough. He killed a gorilla and now I'll be really honest. My knowledge head. of the Black Panther franchise, not that great. No, no, it's mine. Really not. I mean, no, I've, seen, I've seen the animated movie uh, Ultimate Avengers 2 Claws of the Panther or something. Right. Uh, I've, I've seen the, the motion comic series they brought out. That was pretty good. Mm. Um, Alfred Woodard actually was involved in that. Really? Well, she, she is in and she's Luke in Cage Luke Cage and, and Civil War. Civil War it's two yeah. different people. Yeah. I hope they're sisters or something. That'll be interesting. <laughs> That's what, what they are, yes. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's be honest. The, the ultimate casting coup would be let's land Oprah Winfrey in Black Panther. That's that's what's going to happen. The, the big celebrity cameo in Black if Panther is Oprah. They got Winfrey. Avid Varney to do this. Oh, it totally would have happened. It would have happened. It would happened. It absolutely would have happened. Yeah. Because you notice no one has cast Black Panther's mum yet. 
We know about his dad. No one's cast his mum. I will just... give you five English sterling pounds mm. if Upper Winfrey is. Well, let's be honest. Let's narrow it down to who's going to play Bat Panther's mum. Given that it can't be Viola Davis. Can't be Viola Davis. Could is... potentially. You never know. Small role. Viola Davis. Yeah, Angela Bassett. Yeah, you, can't, you can't do. It's more likely to be Angela, yeah, Angela Bassett. Uh, Octavia Spencer. I'll be brilliant if it's Octavia Spencer. I would say that over Octavia Spencer else. and um, Oprah Winfrey. Come Vivica on. Vivica actually Fox. No, no one wants to see Vivica not actually a fox in a film ever again. That's why she died after about 20 seconds in Independence Day Resurgence. You you mean that movie in which she was the stripper who became a doctor in a world in which there were no surviving universities? Yes, that one. Yeah, exactly that. All the universities are gone, but a stripper can apparently get trained up to be a doctor in that amount of time. What are you saying against strippers, man? Sorry? It's, it's a noble. It profession. was implied in the first movie that she had no actual real-world skills, no academic skills whatsoever, that she was a stripper purely to make ends meet. It wasn't said that she was a stripper to, to, like, to pay else. her student That's fees or anything like that. She was just a stripper. Well, maybe she after no the event, things. she then decided, well, I'm going to do something else with my life. I'm going How? To... There are no unis. There are no doctors to train her. The smartest people around would have then built new universities. Let's not argue about this. Oh my this. god, you just think Judd Hirsch did it all, don't you? That's your answer to everything. Judd Hirsch trained all the doctors. That's well, what if you I was Roland Emmerich, that's what I would think, obviously. <laughs> Why else would I give him a subplot that lasted 25 minutes of that bloody film? Before we review uh, First Monday May, I'm going to tell you a quick story I learned the other day about Roland Emmerich. Right, I was reading an interview from 1994 with James Spader. <laughs> Hmm. Right. This was on the Entertainment Weekly website. Right. I just came across, came across James Spader doing an interview for Stargate, which you might remember, one of the first big Ron Emmerich yes, movies. It uh, turns out James Spader hates most of the films he's been in. Right, Hates them with a passion. Stars in them, never watches them because he thinks they're rubbish. Right, he, think, he thinks this of Stargate as well. And he actually says, I read the script and it was just awful. And I became fascinated by how awful it was. Then I met Roland Emmerich and he started talking to me about it. And I thought, wow, he's actually got me interested in this. And it's awful. I've got to do this. <laughs> so he started it purely because Roland Emmerich convinced him it was bad, but it would be fun. So... Yeah, I I don't know who that says more about, Roland Emmerich or James Spader. And, yeah, and that's the only time James Spader ever played an out-and-out good guy. So, which yeah, is... I can't remember the last time that happened. Well, he's one of my favourite actors, so... I I was aware, I know this. Yeah, well, the star of Secretary is one of my favourite actors, go figure. But uh, That's a good film. It is a good film. Yeah. I, I prefer Crash, if I'm honest, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Crash, Cronenberg, man, Cronenberg. So, uh, just to clarify, the Cronenberg crash, the Cronenberg crash, not the Paul Haggis one. So, please, no, no, we 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 take car crashes over Matt Dillon being racist any day of the week. Because, do you really need more Matt Dillon in your life? I like Matt Dillon, but I'm fine with the amount of Matt Dillon I have. Sandra Bullock was indeed in it. She was in Crash. There are some fine actors in Crash. It's just Liev Schreiber, Dong Cheadle. Dong Cheadle's in it. Dong Cheadle's in it. Dong Cheadle. Yeah. I never call him Don. It's that sounds Don. like the porn star parody of Don Cheadle. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's really weird. A friend of mine in Cardiff, uh-huh. he got really drunk and other things as well, and then just left me a voicemail just saying, I am Dong Cheadle. And then, yeah, he was just constantly known as Dong Cheadle from then on. I don't know why. But Donk Cheadle, he now is. Well, I mean, I leave you voicemails with, Hello, my name is Mr. Burns. I believe you have a letter for me. <laughs> I like Wish Snob, thanks. 
Right, okay, okay. First Monday in May, let's talk about this. Yeah, no okay. more Simpsons <laughs> No more Simpsons references. We've done Simpsons, we've done American Dad, we've done a lot this week. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the first Monday in May. Are you aware of what the first Monday in, in May refers to? May Day? No, but the first... Does it? Is that also May Day? Well, I guess, yeah. Okay, well, the first, the, Monday in May, Monday, yeah. the first Monday in May is one of only two days a year that the New York Met is closed. It is closed on Christmas Day and the first Monday in May. Do you know why? I do not know why. Because that is the day of the Met Ball, or the Met Gala, whatever Met you choose I've to, heard of Met Gala, Whatever yeah. you choose to call it. Which is basically the crossover point between celebrity and fashion. Mm. And yet, all the proceeds raised by this ball go to funding the costume exhibit of... The, of the Met, of, of the New York Met. I think that's the one where uh, Zayn Malik went dressed like the Winter Soldier for some reason. <sighs> Don't even get me started. Right. So I'm what Winter we Soldier have, or Zayn Malik. <laughs> what we have is a documentary about the organisation that goes into the Met Ball, the Met Gala. Over you were the, by this over the course of one specific year, hmm. which happens to be the Chinese-influenced exhibit, and the whole point is to try and outdo the one from a couple of years earlier, which paid tribute to Alexander McQueen, which they have never managed to measure up to, and we are introduced to this by the by the curator of this museum, who looks an awful lot like a Bill Hader parody character. Like, you you watch this documentary, it could be an SNL. You just you just think this is Bill Hader on SNL playing this guy. Mm. I am telling you now. And of course, um, Anna Vintor, who is the the editor of Vogue, yes. and she's the 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 figurehead, the organizer of this whole gala, which apparently takes nearly an entire year to arrange. And at no point does she seemingly stop to actually, I don't know, edit Vogue. So she's got people. She got her. she got people for that, and you know what? I'm just going to save you some suspense. Here is a clip, and this should t- set the tone nicely for the film for you of her arranging places for people at tables at the Met Ball. A lot of thought goes into who sits next to who, if they sat next to each other last year, if they've sat next to each other in other events. So much goes into it. It's, it's shocking. A lot of power brokering. Alex has six seats. He's bringing Gaga, Miley, Zoe. This is Tori. Uh-huh. She's looking for one other guy. And then Ricardo is down here with Jessica, Julianne, and Beyonce. So that's that. What Anna has done is understood that high fashion, I mean, the most extraordinary expression of this medium, when it's paired with a celebrity, Become something bigger than both. No, no, it doesn't. I'm going to say some, <laughs> say some suspense there. No, it doesn't. This is about an hour and a half of the most saccharine, self-congratulatory, celebrity-worshipping garbage you've sat through in, in well, ever. Um, this is this is the sort of movie for people... I mean, for one thing, it's a Netflix film. That's, I'm not, I'm not going to mince words with this. <clears throat> this film has absolutely no depth to speak of. Um, not that you should expect as much. It, you know, it's associated with Vogue. It frankly makes that Tiffany one we saw last month seem accomplished by comparison. It's a fluff piece at best. Oh, that was terrible. That that Tiffany fun. one was dreadful, and now... It was an advert. It was an advert. Yeah. Here you have an advert for... Well, you know, you have an advert for the cult of celebrity. I mean, in no small part is this exemplified by uh, Leon Andre Talley. Do you know this guy? I do not. He is a, a contributing editor to Vogue. He's a uh, somewhat large African-American male um, a very, uh, of a very camp persuasion who um, has some very strange priorities as regards... But anyway, there is a moment in the film, and this is where I talk about strange priorities, there's a moment in the film in which we're actually at the ball. It's quite late on. 
we're at the Met Gala, we're at the Met Ball or whatever. They're at the, he's at the red carpet and he's greeting people as they come past. And we see him flip out. Just absolutely flip out at this Loses at it. this PA. Oh my God, the Clooney's just walked past me and George said hello and Amal, who was wearing uh, Galliano, just didn't say anything to me. Go and tell Sally. Go and tell Sally she didn't say anything to me. And you're thinking, okay, I, I, have, I have no way. I think a woman as amazing as her... It's well, fine if she has other things. I'm on not her even. Head. I'm not even interested in in in, in the context of it. In in, yeah. in that kind of a context of it, like you know, she she is an impressive one. Fine, she can do what she wants. But I'm I'm interested in the idea that we're expected to care or relate to the priorities of people mm. like that. And I found the film quite challenging. I found it challenging because, frankly, I was bored. Frankly, I felt like I was losing my intelligence as every minute passed by. I felt like I was getting dumber. I felt like there were people dying in the world who needn't be because we could probably feed them with the budget of this film. Um, I felt like it was more interesting to hear Anna Wintour talk about how she feels the fact that Devil Wears Prada is based on her, which comes up only briefly. I felt like it was hilarious to me at one point they stopped to ask Josh Hart, what's he done lately? And you start thinking, <laughs> clearly you don't have an HBO Go subscription, so... Penny Dreadful. Fair enough. Yeah, Penny Dreadful, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah... I, I really, I have no time for this kind of waffle, this this kind of patronising garbage. And <clears throat> I appreciate that there is a market for these films, but that market, ex- that market pays for a Netflix subscription every month. And I kind of feel like this should just go there. And the idea that this is, they even entertain the idea of theatrically releasing gumph like this is, I, 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 I find kind of an affront to cinema. Mm. And it's just, it just really drains you. You just... Sit there and you think, I could not give less of a flying f*** about Lady Gaga. I don't care about Kanye West. I have no interest in the size of Kim Kardashian's backside, or the fact that I can pretty much see every crevice of it. I have no interest in any of this stuff. Oh, look, it's Rihanna. Is that how you pronounce it? It's Rihanna. Okay, I've learned one thing from this documentary. I just so it's not Rihanna, care. it's Rihanna. Rihanna. But people call her Riri, don't they? As a... Is that when she's being particularly dim? No, I just... I, I hated every single solitary second of it. I just... I, there was no historical context. There was no... There was no g- grander context or anything pointed mm. to, point to... It just... It just wasn't good. It was just... Here's a bunch of people who worship all the famous people. Worship them. Yeah. And the problem is, that's all well and good for the exact duration of a robot chicken sketch. It is not particularly of any interest for an hour and a half that you, frankly, could put to better use watching, I don't know, what, four episodes of The Big Bang Theory? I don't know. What's the stupidest thing on television? Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah. yeah. Although it would be confused with being the smartest thing on television. <laughs> no. Oh, we, we've been in someone uh, in the audience for an episode of yeah, Big Bang that, That's exactly what I was doing. I was laughing disingenuously. <laughs> <laughs> there are no jokes. Where are the jokes? <laughs> He's just saying stuff. <laughs> You're just saying things that are there. <laughs> oh, dear God. But no, I hated every moment of the first Monday in May. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I just it hate every second of it. I it mean, does not sound good. Oh man, I just—it's it, one of those films that just assembles a hit list for you of people to just hate and despise. Top of the list, mm. uh, Anna Wintour. Second list, Leon Andre Talley. And then every celebrity who puts in a cameo underneath it. And yeah, 
uh, oh, I just... I mean, there's a great moment. There's, there's a, like, there is one moment in it that actually made me laugh. I actually laughed genuinely. I laughed at the film, not with the film. Yeah. I laughed at a moment when this Chinese exhibit they're supposed to be putting on, this, this Chinese-themed Met Ball they're putting on, they actually go to China and liaise with people. They try to promote this in China, and they get told by Chinese cultural representatives, you know what, we find it a little bit kind of offensive that it's always just the same dragons and patterns, and, you know, there's a lot more to us than that. And they genuinely try to convince the Chinese people that they are wrong. Okay. Yes. So the people from Vogue and the New York Met try to tell the Chinese cultural ambassadors that they are wrong about Chinese culture. So, you have to laugh awful. at stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 90 minutes. Seriously, 90 minutes. Too long. Just, no, Too long. I'd rather have sat and said, stared silently at a wall for 90 minutes. Would have been a better use of my time. Um, I do like the wall, to be fair. It's, it's been really good this season. It's been great. <laughs> Left that like cliffhanger last season. The wall had a cliffhanger, really, Case? That wasn't even a joke. That wasn't even a no. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. It was, it was my brain running out of things to say. I've got a bit of film news I want to share with you. That's good, because we're a film show. Okay, that's, that is good. That's, that's good. We've, enough talking about We've Vogue. We've to the right place. <laughs> enough talking about Vogue. We know you thought you were listening to the Red Carpet Runway podcast, but no. Um, that's Garrett, my other podcast. That's my other one, yeah. Garrett Headland. So, yeah. Who's an actor I really like. I really like him as well, despite him wanting to be uh, Indiana Han, Jones. Well, yeah, Han Solo, Han Solo and Indiana Not going to happen. I think Pan sunk that for him. <laughs> Come on, kid. <laughs> Well, here's the thing with Garrett Hedlund. He's he's great, even in films that are terrible. Except mm. Pan, where he's as terrible as the rest of the film. Um, yeah. Which is an exception. But, you know, Tron Legacy, uh, Four Brothers, you know. Yeah, he's uh, good in all the uh, On the Road. That was the one I was trying to think of. On the Road. Even Mojave, which, not a great film, mm. but he's very good yeah. in it. So Oscar he, Isaac one, yeah? The Oscar yeah. Isaac one, right. He signed on for this one. You, you'll love this. He signed on for this one that starts filming in a fortnight. So. Right. Clearly, he was an afterthought, but he's a good afterthought. So, he's going to star in a film called Burden. All right. Are you aware of this film? I don't think so. Burden is the story, this is apparently based on true events, the story of a KKK member who meets a woman, falls in love, and decides to leave the KKK to pursue a better life with this woman and her child. Okay. They are pursued by vengeful members of the KKK and take refuge... With an with a, a very sympathetic black priest and his congregation. Wow, who, who's in it? Get, in okay, it? so Garrett Hedlund's the main guy, the leader of the KKK, Tom Wilkinson. Oh, I know. Uh, wait, wait, oh wait, God. wait. This gets better. Have a guess who's playing the black priest? Danny Glover, Forrest Whitaker. Of course, Forrest, it's Forrest Whitaker. Of course. Why wouldn't it? And as one of his congregation, Raymond Usher. <laughs> Yeah, can you sing yeah for me? Yes. <laughs> he's got I like that he's now going by his, his, going by his proper name, name yeah. I know. Yeah. Raymond, Raymond Usher. Usher. Has he even been in anything Raymond since the Raymond. faculty? Um he must Was have. he in Red Tails? No. No. No, that was there was another Another singer, not Aloe Block. Neo. 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 Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh yeah. yeah, he made a cameo in uh, Muppets Most Wanted. Did because, he? Yeah, because he's one of my favourite gags from the last couple of years. Other than the fact that children are supposed to know who Danny Trejo is. <laughs> That's great as well. Why would children know who Danny Trejo is? Good night, I, I Murder King. Know. Good night, Danny Trejo. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit where they are at a wedding and they're like, Usher, Usher, is there an Usher anywhere around? <laughs> and then Usher just shows up. Wouldn't you love it if Usher was your Usher at your wedding? Yeah. <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> but yeah, that's such a good gag. You got any more film news than for me? Give me a second. Oh, that's what I meant to say about that Roy Orbison one. I have a guess who's writing it. Any ideas? 
You're zoned James, out, aren't you? James Manigold. J- James, do you say Marigold? Manigold. Is it Mangold or Mangold? Mangold. 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 <laughs> Manigold is another guy. Okay, so Ray Gideon and Bruce Evans, who wrote Stand By Me, are writing the Roy Orbison one. That's very cool. I know, you, you're going to love this film when it comes out. Um, I did say uh, James Mangold because he did what... Well, uh, he did uh, Walk the Line. He did, John didn't Cashman. he? Yeah, I so, forget about I that. There was, was ma- uh, some, some, was some method, yeah, method, method to your mind. madness. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mispronunciation. <clears throat> yeah, that's cool, though. I like that. Oh, do you know what I watched this last week? I don't know if you saw this. This was a movie that debuted on Netflix called Ark, with a Q. Oh, it's Robbie the Amell. Amell one. Robbie Amell. Yeah, and it was like it. a, it was like a Groundhog Day-style, Edge of Tomorrow-type sci-fi yeah. thriller. Not bad at all. Was it all right? It was pretty good. It was a really, an indie film, clearly. Yeah. But there were so many Netflix really films now. Also I feel watched, like we need to start reviewing them a little bit more. Sometimes well, we do. When, it's it's, it's a problem reviewing. accessing them early is a problem. But right, uh, yeah, sometimes you can't. So. It's very 50-50. Um, there was another one I watched, Audrey and Daisy. It was a documentary about... Oh, I saw the trailer uh, about today. Yeah that, yeah, that will haunt... Just haunt you. It, it is just terrifying. A harrowing documentary. Is it as bad as uh, as Dear Zachary? <clears throat> I've not seen that one. No, you should watch Dear Zachary. I, I shall now. Although if it's get, as harrowing as get Audrey a bottle of wine. It's nice. It's it's a nice, nice, calm, <laughs> pleasant documentary. It's not scarring at all. <laughs> oh well, this is going to haunt me now. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. What you got for me then, Mister L? I'm out. You're out. Oh, that's I'm fair. Out. That's fair I'm enough. Out, so that's I'm fair out, enough. Out. Well, you know, we, we we can't have you know enough material forever. So on that note, here it is. Your moment of cage. You sure she's worth it, Kyle? A million dollars. Yes, that's right, kid. You did it. You hit the mother load. You saw me sign for a million with your own eyes, and it's right there, just inches away. All you have to do is just let my wife go, and then come on down and grab it. Come on, a lion! No! 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 Unless I'm mistaken, that man just about said your name. So you get your people in order. You let my wife leave. And then I'll give you what you want.